Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. We've got an episode today that you are not going to want to miss. We're going to talk about complex financial asset division and the role of the expert witness. When you would have an expert witness testify in court and what that would look like. And today we're joined by an expert all the way up in the Pacific Northwest, Dave Stoltz. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I've really been looking forward to this. I am excited to be here. So you are in Washington, correct? Yes. Seattle specifically? Well, outside of Seattle, uh, Tacoma, about 30 miles south. Oh, yeah. All right. Is it only 30 miles? I didn't know that. It's 30 miles in like two hours. (laughs) See, that's why I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Traffic can really really catch up with you here. But yeah, just 30 miles. Tacoma. Okay. So has Tacoma been hit as hard as Seattle has in terms of the culture change, the how it's life in Tacoma. Is it very different than it was? You know, I think we've dodged some of that, uh, which is kind of nice. So Tacoma has been this weird little town where Weyerhaeuser, which is this, you know, back in its day, this massive uh, lumber company was headquartered here. Russell Investments was headquartered here. And I, and I say was because everybody seems to eventually move away. Mm. <laughs> so Tacoma is kind of this town that's sort of left with a little bit of those things, those remnants. And we're far enough away that we didn't get some of that craziness going on that was in Seattle a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. All right. And how long have you been uh, involved in divorce, financial planning and advising? So uh, quite a while, Um, probably 20 some years. And it started off sort of not really sort of by accident. You know, pretty soon an attorney saying, hey, could you meet with somebody and sort of help talk them through this tax thing or that tax thing relative to a divorce? And then, you know, after a while, you get known for doing that. Then it just kind of goes from there. So and it's really expanded in a good way. I've had a chance to do all kinds of different things, which it's just really fun. Get to meet some amazing people. I mean, just that's the fun part about working in this. And you might not think that, but I've met some of the most amazing people. And I'm sure you have, too. I completely agree with you. It's the best part of the job. You get to know people really well, really interesting people who do interesting things. And especially when we're talking about complex asset division, you're usually talking about people who have created something. They've created a business or they've created a patent or they've designed software or they've they've done some very interesting things. And to divide that is often complex and often painful. When we can get agreements, we always want to do that. And you help people come to agreements. Try. <laughs> you try. I try. But sometimes it doesn't work. And you're looking at a business or some other asset, but usually a business, and you don't agree at all on what those values are. Or you're determining somebody's income. And income is being <laughs> income for the business owner can be a relatively wishy-washy thing. Yeah. So when somebody comes to you and they say, listen, my husband is claiming he only makes $40,000 in income. Here's the books. What do you do? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And and, uh, and it can be very challenging. So 
I think the first thing you do is you sort of keep listening, you know, sort of describe the business. What does he do? How long has he been doing it? And, and you're also trying to read through whether the number that they say they make is, is close to what it would seem like. So um, sometimes that's a lifestyle thing. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you do this and you live there and you travel here and you do this and you do all that on, you know, 65,000 a year. I, I, okay. Help, tell me how that works. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's, there's a whole lot of things to this, of course. So one of the things you have to do is you have to sort of clean up those books. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, you only made $40,000, but there might be so much stuff buried in those books that has little or nothing to do with the business, which is not appropriate from a tax standpoint, but it's, you have to get that stuff out of there and you have to sort of understand what that is to just, just to start with. So you have a clean look at the business books mm-hmm. and then, then, then you kind of go from there to try to understand it just a little bit deeper and, and try to understand what's going on. Okay. All right. So that's for the income perspective. Let me give you another what if. Let's say I bring you a business valuation uh, on behalf of a client and it's $100,000 and she thinks that it's worth well more than that. What do you do? Well, you, you're going to know your spouse for the most part. <laughs> so you, the first thing you're going to say is, so why do you think it's different than this? Tell me why this thing. And in most cases, it's because your spouse said, hey, you know what? I don't, you know, I pick up this much. I picked up this job and I just, I didn't count the money. Or I picked up this and I did this. Or I took a piece of land instead of getting paid. Or I, you know, it can be all kinds of things. And so you, the first thing you want to do is they have a, a sense of why those numbers aren't right. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to want to start with that because there's a lot of clues in what, what they think is going on. And then, and then you're going to go in from, so it's still an income. It can be an income approach. It's like, okay, you're trying to say, okay, what really was the income? And then, and then, you know, valuation methods are all kinds of, there's lots of different ways to do it. You can, but you start with sort of trying to get to what a real number is. And then you, there's multiples you can apply and there's different ways you can look at it, but you really want to, if somebody comes to me and says, here's this valuation, this doesn't make any sense at all. Can you help me kind of explain why this is wrong in court or in, in mediation or something like that? Okay. And so there's a couple of ways then that you can do that. You can do your own valuation or you can pick apart the valuation that's already been done. Which do you think is more effective? Well, I think you want to come from a standpoint of having your own opinion, which means sort of coming from your own valuation. So it's like, I've done my analysis. I've done my review. Here's what I come up with. And then in a, and then you're going to kind of contrast why there's a difference in the number. And, and there's lots of reasons why. You know, you take, a, take something fairly straightforward. Let's say a, a professional, a dentist, fairly straightforward. You, you can expect, you can look at ratios to see whether the their expense ratios are normal. You can look at gross numbers and see, okay, that's about what you would expect somebody to do with that size of practice. And so those things, you know, I'm not picking on dentists, but you might want to look in there and see if the country club dues are in there and some of the other things that, that probably shouldn't be, or, you know, a vacation that they counted as continuing education or something. So you have to clean up that, but you've, you have a fairly reasonable way to look at that and think, okay, we're, we're at least in the ballpark. And then you can kind of argue the finer points. The, the more, much more difficult ones are the ones that are outside of a normal structure of a business. So you mentioned the software thing. So maybe somebody developed some software and now they've built this company around her and you just don't go to a book and look up comparable values for startup software companies. I mean, that's difficult to do. Or maybe even a musician or a professional athlete, 
Like, wow, those are very difficult things, but you still have to do it. The, the fear of a valuation person, the, the, the absolute keep you up at night is you value something for $5 million and then three years later, they sell it for 65. Right. That's, that's what will keep you up at night. And there might be a reason for that. It right. might not be because you made a mistake, but you, you want to know that you've kind of thought through all of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned that because from the divorce attorney perspective, having worked on many, many businesses with divorces, I see valuations that are all over the place. I frequently see cases where two different experts will come up with a valuation that is a million dollars or more different. Mm -hmm. Can you explain why that would be? Yikes. Well, yeah. So, if you have, here, here, I'll give you my, my opinion here now, and then and it'd be fun to hear what you think. So if you have two valuation experts and they both have, um, how would you call it? They, they both have a let's try to get this right kind of an approach. I tend to not see as great a difference. Mm. If you have a valuation expert, and I'm, I'm, I'm being cautious with my wording, that um, is sort of asked to defend a certain number or asked to lean a certain way with their valuation, then, then the opposing expert has a problem. Mm -hmm. And the problem being that courts sometimes can't figure out these complex valuations. And mm -hmm. so there's a tendency to split it. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency to say, if you say 2 million and I say 5 million, we're going to split it down the middle. Mm -hmm. But that's not, that's a very difficult spot for an expert to be in. an expert. You really want an expert on both sides. It's like, Hey, let's try to get this right. And we're going to have differences of opinions. My valuation is going to include assumptions. Yours didn't, but we're going to come at this right. And so Sometimes you see these wide variations and and you sort of get the sense somebody drew a line too low. And so an expert has to draw, you know, has to within the bounds of their professionalism, they have to lean toward the higher side to sort of to sort of counteract this person who's leaning on the on too low of a side. If that makes sense. You, you want experts to be experts. You want them to have their opinion and you want them to say, this is what I believe. But there is a tendency to some people will lean a certain way. And that, that creates a very difficult thing for you, because now you have an expert who's doing their best to get the right number. And they're going up against somebody who will defend a number that they've been asked to defend that maybe is a little different. I, I agree with you. I think it is a very hard situation. And usually when that happens, it's not, in my opinion and in my experience, it's not the experts. It's the clients and the clients are telling the experts, I hired you. <laughs> I paid for you. I'm paying mm -hmm. for this opinion. No, you know, no, you should not concede that. Yeah. Maybe this assumption is more correct with that assumption. Let's move the needle. Usually when you can get two experts to communicate, you can come to a, a closer range mm -hmm. of value. So in, in my opinion, before you go to court, like you really shouldn't go to court with two experts that are far, far, far away. You should probably depose the experts first, maybe go to a mediation with the experts and the lawyers and see if you can get closer. But if you can't, then it almost seems like whoever's the better huh? uh, performer mm -hmm. <laughs> will tend to win the day because in Arizona, the judge is not allowed to pick a value in the middle. Oh, interesting. Yes. 
Interesting. Yeah. Do you ever have you ever seen times when when the attorneys will ask the valuation experts to get together and review each other's and kind of and try to understand where their differences are and kind of work together on that? Uh, yes, I think it's a good idea. I yeah. do that as much as possible. I find that two experts, usually they've worked together in the field, in the area for a long time, and mm-hmm. there's a certain level of professionalism, and they're going to treat each other with kindness and um, professionalism. And mm-hmm. usually we can get closer. But when the clients are adamantly and completely opposed, then they're rolling some really big dice. Yeah. I I had one woman say that she was surprised when she saw her expert get in the car with the other expert because they had carpooled to the mediation together. It's like, you know, there's only a small group of valuation experts in any one area and they all know each other extremely well. And so there's no problem with them carpooling, obviously, you know, that's, but, but she was surprised. It's like, oh, I never thought they would even be friends or let alone like, like work together. And I think, you know, up here, my feeling is the sort of the pool of valuation people is not expanding. It's it's getting smaller. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if it's a, you know, I don't know why that is. Uh, but all the valuation people here are absolutely swamped. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to find somebody that, you know, without a six or eight week notice or something. Absolutely. One thing that this discussion highlights Sometimes you need expert witnesses. You need them to testify in court. You need them to defend your position, especially if something really shady is happening. Mm-hmm. But most often, as we tell as we tell people again and again and again, it is better to figure out how to come to an agreement. Now, you have a new book out that really talks about why it is so hard for people to come to agreements. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I completely agree. You have worked and built your net worth together. And you are in the best position to decide how to divide that. And, and putting it in the hands of somebody else, whether it's an arbitrator or, or a judge or something, gives you the least amount of control. And so it, it seems to only be the times when it's not even necessarily wild differences. And, and you see this a lot more than I do, of course, but it's, it's the emotion of it or the anger of it or the frustration of it that's just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And you really want to try to step back from that and go, okay, let me think about this. I, I want to work this through in the best way for me. And, you know, obviously going to court's not going to affirm your hurt or, you know, punish bad behavior or do any of the things that you might hope it does. It won't. So the, the ability to, to kind of process through this and in my way of thinking, you're processing two things at once. You have these internal things in your head about the, the difficulty of this and all the advice your friends are giving you that they're not qualified to give you. And you're trying to understand all this and maybe the kids are acting out, all these kind of things. And then at the same time, you're supposed to make these financial decisions. Like, well, you're going to keep the house, you're going to change jobs, you're going to go back to school, you're going to do that, you know? And so it's this blur of all this. And then that's when your role um, is so critical because you can just go, okay, let's just, you know, step at a time. We're going to, you know, go through this and go through that. The, the book is an attempt to sort of help somebody do that especially with an attorney, it's it's by no means a do-it-yourself. It's nothing close to that. It's like, I think that's without the help of an attorney in some form or another, I think that that can get tricky too. And I know you've got a, you do a lot of work trying to help people with, with that part, which is awesome. But the, so you're, the book sort of like, you're trying to process the emotions of it at the same time, you're trying to make good decisions. And absolutely, you want to try to just kind of put things aside that are hard to deal with and 
and have a conversation and try to work these things out because you're, you're in the best position to, to solve this thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and many times divorce is such a huge betrayal to people. And that is probably the deepest type of wound. And so if one party is experiencing their divorce as a betrayal, they have an incredibly hard time coming to grips with the idea that we would need to divide anything because they didn't sign up for this. Yeah. They didn't ask for this. Yeah. And there's, then there, <laughs> we could go on this one for a while. Yeah. The currency of a relationship is trust. And when that's broken, it, it it's really a struggle and, and in a lot of different ways. And I, I run this survey for people who have been divorced mm-hmm. and through the process. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what's the best advice you got? What's the worst advice you got? Mm-hmm. What do you wish you knew at the, at the beginning that you didn't know and try to get some of those, some of that input that we can, that I can use with people. And yeah, and it's, it's insightful. Um, and then, so if, if you look at the majority of people in my survey, the, the woman made the decision, the wife made the choice. So they made the decision to jump off the dock into the ocean, you know, sort of, and that gives them a chance to process in advance, but it's still so much different than they expect. And so it's like, okay, let me catch my breath and, and let's get going. But, but suppose you're not the one who made the decision, then you've got this thing, then you've got the opposite. You're like, whoa, what just hit me? And, you know, I mean, just the shock of it is just going to, is just going to knock you back. As much as we know we should all kind of know the directions to the high road and we should all take it, it's not easy to do. And, right. And one woman told me the phone rang in the middle of the night and it was, that's when she discovered there was a problem. Like another woman was calling. It's like, wow, can you imagine? And then you, and then it's like, hey, let's make some good financial decisions. It's like, whoa, wait. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. Which is why sometimes it's great that the process takes time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because if, you know, we, we know know, from psychology that if your limbic system is aggravated and you're, you know, you're emotionally dysregulated, we know that you don't make good decisions. We know that under pressure, you don't make good decisions and this is pressure and it is traumatic. So I want to know this survey, tell me what are the biggest takeaways? What do people wish they would have known? (laughs) I thought you were going to go with, What's the worst advice you got? That's usually the question I get. Tell I want to hear that advice too. Was. I want to go through all of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll summarize some of them and tell you. So the first thing that, that is overwhelming is what did you learn at the end? And it is overwhelmingly positive. It's like that I can do things I never thought I could do, that I could, I could power through things, that I could become a different person, that I could co- accomplish things I never expected or, or accomplish things I was told I could never do. And, and overwhelmingly, that is what you get at the end in terms of, of things that changed or things that you, how you feel about yourself or whatever. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't remember the percentages now, but I mean, very few come back and say, you know, it was, it was difficult. And I, I wish I hadn't and whatever. It's more, it's much more like it was so empowering. But that doesn't mean the process is easy, of course. That's a, that's a look back. Um, one of the things that I thought was very interesting was I asked, looking back, do you wish you would have been more, um, you, you think you would have been more stronger in your negotiating? And it's overwhelmingly yes. Really? Looking back, they say, I wish I would have been tougher. I, I think in the... You, you tell me, because you've seen so much more than this, but 
in that final moment, there's just a, I just want the last fight done. I just want this over. And then fast forward, you know, 12 months or something, you go, you know what? I shouldn't have. Now, I don't know. Maybe my survey is just for women. So maybe men have a similar, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so, but then maybe. So I'm going to send out a survey like this because I think this is just a great idea. And we have about half of our clients are men and about half of our clients are women. Um, But my suspicion is the higher income earner will be fine. They will go on to make more money. They will go on to financial prosperity And regardless of whether or not they ended up with half or slightly less than half, it does not matter because they have the ability to create more money. And my sense is for someone who does not have that ability, which is generally women, if you leave anything on the table, cumulatively, it's a bigger loss. Yep. I agree. I I agree because the higher earner, I'd say easily 10 years later, they're ahead. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I shouldn't say, you know, a number, but, but you just have that ability to recover. You can't, you know, you take, go back to valuation, you take a dental practice and you value the dental practice and, and you, so you allocate that to the, let's say he's in this case, let's say he's the dentist, you allocate that valuation number on her column. But with that valuation number, he has the ability to earn much more than she could earn with that amount of money. I mean, right. partly it's, it's effort too. Partly the dentist is putting an effort and going to work every day and right. doing all that, but But yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's true. The business owner, as long as the business has not become wrecked in the divorce, the business owner is in a position to go make cumulative gains. You're now free from a marriage that wasn't great. You Mm. might have your children half the time versus all the time. And you, you know, it is, it is for majority of people, a positive experience to get out of a bad marriage. And Mm you know, they, they really have the ability to flourish afterwards. And if you're working a job, your ability to flourish is not the same. Right. I agree. I don't know what advice I have for people who work a job quit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, uh, yeah, I guess growing up as a CPA, I love small business. I love, you know, reading your information about you starting your firm and starting Mm -hmm. these other projects that you've got going. I love that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's something just magical about that. And that's not to say everybody has that inclination. And I wouldn't tell somebody to, you know, pull the plug on a, on a nice paycheck and try something without really thinking that through, but, but there might be opportunities to start something that somebody hadn't thought about before. So yes, yes, I should retract my advice. I am not telling anyone to go quit their job, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm a small business owner. You're a small business owner. It's, it's magical. It's really, really wonderful. If you find your passion and you're able to create something that you feel good about and then make a living from it, it's a really great thing. Um, It's probably why I work with so many business owners as a lawyer and you work with so many business owners Mm -hmm. as a financial person Mm -hmm. and their divorces are more complicated. And, you know, you were talking about how a lot of people can do it themselves, not these people, <laughs> not right. not the business owners, usually. Right. But right. So I, I don't but I agree with the, the look back thing. I mean, and the other things that were in there, um, there's some funny things. Um, <laughs> I can't remember if I can if I can. I can't recall if I can remember them all, but you get some answer to some question. It's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I have to go back and refresh my memory now. But some of the things like, you know, what was the best advice you were, you got? And somebody would say, I haven't got any. It's like, oh, my gosh, you didn't get any good advice. Wow. wow. 
Uh, yeah. Hopefully. Okay. So when does the survey go out? So I did this. Uh, I, I did this in conjunction with the book because I was afraid of. What well, afraid? I was concerned about a guy writing a book addressed to women. It's like from a credibility standpoint, how do how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. And although I think. I think it works fine. I was still concerned about it. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try to get some some data that I can say my survey said that the number one argument in divorce is money, which is what it did. So it's like it's not me saying that. It's like, okay, well, here's what the women I surveyed said. And and so it gave me a way to talk about the things that I would have talked about before. But it's not, you know, Dave said because they don't know Dave. And so how are they going (laughs) to that may not mean as much. Mm -hmm. But when women said, hey, they wish they would have been tougher. It's like, okay. Just use that when you're in your final mediation moment. And you might still agree to what you've worked out. Great. But remember that sometimes people think I should have been a little tougher and just give that a moment to sink in before you say, yeah, I'm good with this or no, I'm not. And so so that was helpful to me to, to do the survey. So I did it back when I did the book. It ended in uh, I got October of last year. I'd like to do another one because as soon as you do one, you realize, oh, I should have asked that question a little different. So I'd love to, I would love to do another one. My my sister's a PhD professor. And so she does these, she's a survey. You know, that's what she does for a living, I think. So she, it was very helpful to have her help me craft this, how you word things and how you ask these things. So that was, that was very helpful. There's a little plug for my little sister there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's a fantastic idea. I want to send out the survey. I don't know if you're willing to share your questions with me, but I would love to send it out. Absolutely. I'd be fun to, I don't know if there's a way to work together on kind of compiling information. I'd, uh, anything like that would be great. I'd love to do that. Let's do it. And then where do we find your book? Uh, the usual spots. It's on Amazon. It's on, you know, Barnes and Noble, whatever. I, I would say my book's pretty easy to find because so I'm not uh, me writing a book, just saying that out loud sounds weird because I'm not that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned, my little sister, who's a professor. I think every time I send her an email, I know she wants to like correct the grammar and send it back. I just, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a person who, who writes in the air quotes, you know, but anyway, the, so part going through it, part of the time I, I would just get sort of stuck or bored or something. I go, okay, what am I going to say? What am I? So I started just doodling. So on the cover of my book has this picture of this woman that I just kind of doodled. So it's pretty easy to find my book when you're scanning books. It's the only one that's got a little scribbled, picture of a of a woman at the top of it so okay what's the title well it's very cleverly titled uh women divorce and money women divorce and money sounds fantastic i have really enjoyed this podcast thank you so much for joining me and for our listeners if you have enjoyed this podcast make sure that you leave a review rank it download it share it with your friends go back and download our past episodes and if there are listeners out there who think that you would be a good guest we would love to have you on make sure to contact us and let us know what topics you would like us to cover on the modern divorce podcast dave thank you so much for joining me today i've really enjoyed it Yeah, this is super fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement 
for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you were anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.